Welcome to the Bible Caddy Podcast. I'm William Kane, and I'm joined my, by my good buddies, Ben Crane and Webb Simpson. And together, we're carrying the good news about Jesus to the world of golf. What's up, fellas? What's up, Weber? Good to see you. What's up, boys? Great to be back. Oh, yeah. If I'm not mistaken, some sourdoughs being put in the mail today. Is that right? That is not in the mail, but it's rising all day for, for Weber after my Will Zatorius um, dropped out of the tournament on me and then Roy slips in for the for the victory like are you kidding me oh I mean, gosh Scheffler was looking so that. good for so long I mean that was my horse I mean Anything guys listeners to the listeners one of my highlights of the summer Ben Crane and I stayed together at the John Deere Classic and Ben brought some of his bread from home and every day he just fixed me a little slice a little almond butter regular butter and honey and I mean it was just dessert it sets you free. So, I'm it looking really forward to it. How good fresh sourdough is. It's hard to beat. Uh, big stories this week in the world of golf. We got the Corn Ferry Tour Championship. Um, this will release after that, but congrats to all the guys who get your PGA Tour card. And then we got Prez Cup picks coming out. That'll be out by the time this next episode releases. So, we'll talk about that next time. But we're going to do something a little new on the podcast today. We're going to give you guys a chance to tell some golf stories. Uh, sometimes these will be funny, sometimes they'll be serious. But we thought old Benny Crane could kick us off with a favorite golf story of yours. Really shows your your diversity in golf expertise, your broad ability. Precision. Precision. Yeah, precision is the word. <laughs> why, don't you, why don't you share this story with us? Okay, so um, back in 2014, I was at the greatest golf experience club in, in the world, the Madison Club. Can, really quickly, can you guys tell us, Madison Club has a couple of pretty big rules, right? Yeah, it's uh, one man per shower, don't drive on the greens. Okay, so as <laughs> long as you do those two things, you're okay? Yeah, you're pretty much okay. So, we're at the Madison Club, and I'm there uh, for Sunday night dinner, which is epic. They just literally, like, the, the kitchen hits full send, from sushi to everything, and I walk out, and they're having, like, a little closest to the pin contest that they put this hitting mat on top of the fireplace to the 18th green lights on tons of people around people are drinking wine i mean it's you know got the outdoor pizza oven going it's a nice time music's going everything's right in the world and um they're like come on ben hit one you know whatever and i'm like i don't really want to hit one but okay you know i'm like it's a simple shot it's like 78 yards if you land it like two or three paces too far it'll suck back you land it right there, it'll probably hold in there. So I, I sat there, hit, hit one in there about two and a half feet. And they're like, oh, come on, you know, whatever. And I'm like, guys, this isn't fair. This isn't fair. Let me, let me, and I see a left-handed club sitting there. And so I, I grab the left-handed <laughs> club and I find out later, there's some people, now I'm now standing left-handed, and there's a lady um, and her daughter, who's probably about 20 years older, enjoying a glass of red wine. And later... I hear that the mom says, oh, this is Ben Crane. He's a professional golfer. You're going to want to watch this. So I stepped up left-handed, and I'm over the shot going. And, and before you tell us about the shot, like, tell us about your game lefty. Like, have you played much left-handed golf? I mean, obviously, you're zero. a very competent athlete. I mean, I've played zero left-handed golf. Every once in a while, I'll, you know, hit some shots lefty. I remember hitting some balls left-handed with the Vanderbilt guys and hitting high slices with the driver, like couldn't square the face to save my life. But I'm like, you know, I can, I can turn the right wrist down a little bit in the downswing and figure this out and get it on the green. You know what I mean? I'm like, this isn't fair. And, and you've always been the kind of guy who rises to the occasion. I mean, you've got an audience. I, I mean, I don't mind the audience. Yeah. You know I mean, like, <laughs> so this lady and her daughter are, are kind of standing kitty corner in front of me. I'm hitting left-handed. It does Nothing even dawns on me at this point. I'm just literally locked in on the target. So I look at the bottom of this wedge, it's a 56 lefty, and I take it back, and I know this is going close. And right as I get to about imp impact, all I hear is an explosion of glass. And I'm like, <laughs> what in the world? And I look over, and the daughter is holding a wine stem, but no glass on top. <laughs> I hit a toe shank that's gone through her glass and like sprayed wine into the rose bushes. <laughs> she looks up at me like this is some sort of trick shot or something. <laughs> I've hit the pitch out, the the hollow. That's dude perfect before dude perfect. Yeah. 
I mean, literally, it's it's just goes to the you know uh, like hitting a shanks reasonably hard to do. Hitting a toe shank with that kind of precision is just like <laughs> world class. That is world class. That is awesome. I, I feel like we're gonna yeah. have some great shank stories on this podcast. Web, oh, you gotta man. give us just just one. Web, have you ever shank, Have out. you ever shanked a golf ball at anywhere <laughs> that's important? Well, you know, I do lead the PJ Tour in the shank category for the last 10, 12 years, probably. Um, uh, there's so many to choose from, Close guys. Send a perfect shot. That's, that's right. Um, you know, I would say I'll start with my most embarrassing shank, where you just, you know, those moments in life where you just want to crawl out of your own clothes and run away. And I'm at the <laughs> Masters on Saturday, playing with Zach Johnson. It's like three thirty, four thirty in the afternoon. The crowd is packed in 20 deep. And if you, if anybody knows, between 16 and 15, and kind of to the right of 16, the par three, there's so many people kind of between, behind 15 green, between 16 and 17. So it's that middle right pin up on top. I'm in between uh, like a chip seven and a hard eight. And I go with the hard eight, but to a right pin, I want to cut it. So the hosel gets there first. <laughs> Ball goes, you know, it was like a classic shank, like a solid, nasty shank. And it goes about 120 yards straight into the middle of the people. And It's a good place to play from, though. Gosh. And I love that hole. So now the worst part is like getting through all the people. I mean, it's going to take 10 minutes just to clear them out. And the worst part about it is I get over there and I have no shot now. I mean, I have to – the best I can do is chip it in the front bunker. So – Waiting on them to move not only their bodies but their chairs was awful. Chipped it in the bunker, actually made a great like four footer for bogey and got out of there pretty quick. So we go to 17, pins middle right, wind's blowing 20 miles an hour right to left. So Polly gives me the numbers, da 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 da. And I'm like, oh, it's perfect. Just I'm gonna hold an eight iron, you know, 15 feet left of the hole. And I said, you like that hold eight? And Polly goes, what do you think about that nine? And I'm like, nine. I'm like, buddy, I got to smash a nine and it's right to left wind. I got to start right of the green. It sounds like a horrible club. And Polly leans in. And he goes, hey, buddy, I'm just, you know, you just hit a cut eight on the last hole and you shanked it. I'm just trying to give you another option. I said, please go stand over there. I'm not hitting nine. So I hit this toe kind of knuckleball yeah, yeah. eight to about 40 feet. <laughs> got my two putt and got out of there. So. Oh, uh, it's so funny. Well, yeah. Uh, another day we need to. You got to tell the Ryder Cup shank story. Oh, I will. Because I will. that one's gold too. I mean, you got to be the yeah. only player to ever have shanked the ball in the <laughs> Masters and the Ryder Cup. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> has anybody else ever done that? We're well, gonna need to know I, if you if you've ever won the uh, the all four majors in a year, the Grand Slam of shanks too. Yeah. <laughs> I have shanked it in the U.S. Open at Wingfoot. Uh, Willie, you caddy there, that really hard dogleg left. See, okay, you got to keep us in suspense, though. Like, we, we, don't, we don't know if you if you pitched out the British e- Open or not. <laughs> I get excited about my shake, so another day. Oh, uh, so fun. I was wondering why you call, call it the hosel rocket, and I'm like, because you can't talk to it. There's no talking, right? It's just <laughs> like a missile yeah. with no spin just going no spin. dead right. <laughs> oh, it's classic. All right, boys. Well, let's uh, let's turn our attention from shanking golf balls to the Word of God. Um, quick reminder to our listeners: if you're just jumping in, here's what we're doing this fall. We're, we've started a series called "Meet Jesus." Um, Bible tells us there's nothing more important in the whole world than knowing the one true God and Jesus Christ, whom He sent. And the Bible makes enormous claims about who He is and what He's done. It says that He's the Son of God, that He's God become man, and that He came to solve our biggest problem to defeat sin and death through his death in our place. And it tells us that he's alive forever, and we can actually know him. That's what we're made for. And the good news for us is that the scriptures reveal just who he is and just what he's like and just what he came to do. And more good news for us is that because he's alive in heaven and he's the same yesterday and today and forever, that what we see of him in the Bible is what we can expect of him ourselves. And so last week, we saw him cleanse a man with leprosy. And we saw that Jesus not only dealt with this man's disease, but he also dealt with his shame. He touched the man and he cleansed him, and the power of Christ overcame this, the, the uncleanness of this man. And then in this ironic twist that we 
loved looking at, Jesus traded places with the leper. The leper who was once isolated and alone was now welcomed as part of society. And Jesus, who was once part of society, was forced to live his life on the outskirts. And it just pictures how he trades places with us, how he takes our sin and gives us his righteousness. And so today we turn our attention to the very next passage in the book of Luke, Luke 5, 17 to 26, and we're going to see the Lord at work again. So like we always do, we want to start with prayer. The um, Bible's a supernatural book, and we need God's help to understand it. So, Ben, you want to pray for us? Love to. <clears throat> Lord God, uh, it is such a gift to open your word, Lord. And um, just like we saw last week, Lord, that um, you took our place on that cross. We deserve to die uh, because of our sin, but you and your perfection went on to that cross uh, to pay the price for us. And you set us free, Lord. So you've mm-hmm. traded places with us. And Lord, you've just given us the greatest gift we could ever know in yourself um, and in paying for our sin. So thanks for this time, Lord. I pray you would open up um, our hearts to, to hear and understand um, what's in your perfect, beautiful word um, and that it would get in us um, so that mm-hmm. we would um, just be fruitful and um, just multiply. So thanks for this mm-hmm. time, Lord. Pray you bless it in Christ's name. Amen. 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 All right, well, everyone, read for us. Yeah, I do want to say one thing to the listeners, just an encouragement. So William and Ben and I have been reading our Bibles for a long time. And uh, somewhere in the Psalms, it says, your word is beyond perfection. It is exceedingly broad. And, you know, just in the last week, even doing this with with my buddies, um, you might read a passage once, uh, maybe even twice, but then you revisit it, you know, a few months later. And God's word is able to speak to each of us, whoever's listening, whoever's reading it, in such a unique way by the Spirit of God. Um, and it's just been so encouraging because I've read the story um, when Jesus cleansed a leper so many times, but I've gotten so excited about the things we talked about. I've been able to share it with you know my mom or a couple friends, and they're encouraged. And so just uh, as you're listening, just just see if God will speak to you through through His word, which I know He will. Um, but it's just encouraging to, to, to do this, and um, his word is amazing, right? No doubt. All right, so here we go. Luke 5, 17 through 26. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. All right, so verse 17, how does Luke begin? What's going on? Kind of gives us the audience of who he's teaching. Yep, so Jesus teaches Pharisees. That's right. Pharisees and teachers of the law. Yeah, and, and so he's back in Capernaum, kind of home base for him in northern Galilee. Um, and... Just like you said, Weber, these Pharisees and these teachers of the law have come from all over Israel to kind of come and examine him. So what do we know about Pharisees, teachers of the law? So it's, you know, if you're familiar with the Bible, you know these guys, but if you're new to the Bible, you may not. So somebody introduce us to these guys. Yeah, these Pharisees were really, really well-trained, um, well-thought-of men whose job was to interpret the word, to... The, kind of the the keepers of of the word, and they were, um, you know, like like the you know high end middle class businessmen who's really well thought of uh, in our society. 
No doubt. Yeah, these guys are at the top of the food chain in Israel and all things political, religious, legal. Um, yeah, and they're the gatekeepers on the things of God, like you said, Ben. So these guys come to Jesus and they um, they want to see about him. They want to assess him. They either want to give him their stamp of approval or they want to give him their criticism. Um, so they find him teaching, and not only is he teaching, but what else does verse 17 tell us about him? The power of the Lord is with him to heal. Yeah, so imagine the situation. Somebody just kind of paint the picture of the setting for a minute. How, how might this have gone down? How might you describe it? Not, not everybody at one time. Yeah, I want to give you all a chance, each of you. <laughs> well, I mean, if they're coming from every village of Galilee, Judea, and from Jerusalem, I mean, the creme de la creme of the religious leaders are coming. And a lot of people are probably eager. A lot of people are probably already critical in their hearts towards what they hear about this man, Jesus. Um, but they're certainly curious. They want to see it for themselves. What they, you know, the buzz around, they want to, they want to see for themselves. Yeah. And in addition to these guys in this house where Jesus is teaching, who else is in this house and how many people are we talking? Use some, use some clues from later on in the passage. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Oh, boys. Uh, All right. Jace, help us out. Here, <laughs> Jace, help us out. Jace, maybe trim some, trim some, uh, trim some silence for yeah. us, Jace. Yeah. In, in uh, case we, in case we keep this in, Jace Barber is the good man who does all the editing for us, <laughs> and so uh, this is a little view behind the scenes. But he, here's the idea: there's, we're going to see here. There's so many people in this house, which could have belonged to Simon and Andrew, by the way. We know that from Mark chapter one, verse twenty-nine. That the the house is just overflowing with people. Some of them are fans of Jesus. Some of them are critics of Jesus. Some of them are in desperate need of Jesus. But the house is overflowing, and there Jesus is in the middle of them all teaching. So I, I just imagine people sitting on the floor and sitting in the chairs and flooding out the front door. It, it's quite a scene. Um, and so this is the setting for what happens next and what comes next in verse 18. Some of the men were bringing a man on a bed who was paralyzed. That's right. Yeah, and, and even before we get some of the men, what, what are the first two words of that verse? And behold. And behold. Okay, so quick Bible reading tip. Whenever you see the word behold in your Bible, pay attention. The author wants to draw your attention to something. He wants you to zoom in and hear what he's saying. And what does he want you to behold here in verse 18? That these men were bringing this who had faith, or either the, or the paralyzed man had faith, to be brought before Jesus and interrupt Jesus' teaching. No doubt. Yeah. So what do we know about these men? And, and what they're up to. So they're they're super committed to their buddy who's laying on this bed. They're they're going to do whatever it takes to get their friend to Jesus. No doubt. Yeah, and we're we're really not told a ton about them. We I think we can rightly assume they're either friends or family. They got the best interest of their buddy at heart. Um, and they're probably willing to, you know, experience some shame or you know, because mm -hmm. people are going to be like, "Are you kidding me?" Like he's teaching right now. You know, why right. are you bringing, I mean, they're interrupting something that people have come from all over to be a part of. Yeah. yeah. And, and let's, let's too just do a little brainstorming together on, um, on their buddy. So what are we told about their buddy who they're carrying? What's his condition? He can't walk. Yeah. He's paralyzed. Paralyzed. Okay. To be paralyzed in 2022 would be a, a huge, huge trial. Mm -hmm. Okay. To be paralyzed in the first century may even be a greater trial. How come? Mm -hmm. You don't have wheelchairs. You don't have like the the things to communicate, the things to get around that we have today. Totally. So this guy's life would have been, and, and not to minimize anybody who might be paralyzed now, but at this point, there's no, there's no wheelchair. There's no means of getting around. There's no technology to help. This guy would have been stuck. Mm -hmm. um, but his buddies have some hope for him. He perhaps has some hope for himself and they, they decide they want to bring this man to Jesus. Maybe this Jesus can do something about it, but what's the problem they face in verse 19? 
They can't. They get can't the get house. in. Yeah, too many people. Right. So now here right. these guys are. They got their buddy. They're carrying them. Right. If you've ever, I mean, I just I think about when somebody asked me to move. You know, like to me, there's hardly anything worse than like moving a sofa or something on a really hot day. You know. <laughs> And I, now here these guys are. They're carrying their buddy. They're outside of an overflowing house. They're trying to get to, to get to this guy, Jesus. This is hugely inconvenient for them. It'd be easy to give up, uh, but they don't. What do they do next? They go up to the roof, and they start taking some tiles away to make, make a hole in the roof. Okay, th- this is crazy. And whenever you get to something like this, you want to slow down, like we talked about before, and you want to read it imaginatively. So most houses in first century Galilee apparently had an outside staircase that went up to a flat roof that was typically made of branches and sod with some kind of tile underneath. So these guys climbed up those stairs with their buddy on his bed. And, I mean, just picture the difficulty even in that, right? Sweat's probably dripping. There's probably awkward turns they're making and strains to their back and all this stuff. And then these guys make the decision to literally temporarily destroy someone else's property. Mm-hmm. And even though it would have taken serious effort to make a hole in the roof, it would have been very possible. And that's that's what these guys did. They made a hole in the roof that was big enough to let down a grown man mm-hmm. through the roof with his bed. Because we're going to see later mm-hmm. in the past, he's got his bed with him. So this is a major hole. So a couple observations. One would be this. What they did required huge amounts of faith and serious desperation. Just like the mm-hmm. leper, right? These guys, this was their only hope. And they believed mm-hmm. that Jesus could actually do something about it. Second, right. second thing to consider is this. And I'll, just, I'll put it in y'all's court. What do you think this would have done to the teaching of Jesus in that moment? So now put yourself as a, as a listener to Jesus in that house and describe what oh. that may have been like. I mean, stuff's going to be falling from the roof on the people, probably mm-hmm. dust, mud. I mean, total interruption. I mean, he probably had to stop for, for a while while this was happening. No doubt. How about the sign of them picking at the roof? You know, like, right. like really? And then all of a sudden the stuff starts to fall. And then all of a sudden a man starts coming through it. <laughs> totally. I mean, you're not, you're not going to continue teaching. You know, it's not no. a baby crying in the back of the sanctuary. That's right. Right? Right. And so you can imagine that even probably people on the inside are helping now to lower this man down. It's not like, you know, the guys from the roof have go-go gadget arms, right? So right. now this man's lowered down in front of Jesus and all eyes are on this guy. Everybody stops, and they're zoomed in on this paralyzed man. And what comes next is not just strange, it's staggering. Yep. So what does Jesus say in verse 20, or what happens in verse 20? He says, um, when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven. Okay, so let's, let's just start with that first phrase. What, what stands out to Jesus about these guys? Their faith. What you know, the, what they went through to get the man to Jesus showed their faith in what Jesus could do and who he is. No doubt. Okay, now what's staggering about what Jesus says to the man? We're going to come back to this faith piece at the end. But Jesus looks at this guy and he says something to him. What does he say and why is it utterly crazy? The man can't walk. We're not looking for sins to be forgiven here. We're looking for this guy to walk again. That's why he's been lowered down. 100%. The man has come to be healed. It's obvious that he's come to be healed. It's obvious to everyone in the room that he's come to be healed. And Jesus looks at him and says, man, your sins are forgiven. So how, how do you imagine this would have landed on the man? Definitely think he would have been confused. For sure. Confused at the very least. Like, I came here for one thing. He's telling me something that's completely different, even though what he's telling me is amazing. But can he do that? <laughs> totally. And that's that's best case he's thinking that way. And if he's yeah, more like yeah. me, he's probably thinking like, he's probably a little let down. Yeah. Like, ah, oh, well, that's, I guess that's a kind gesture, <laughs> you know, yeah. but I, I've come, I've come to be healed, healed. I can't walk, you know? Yeah. Um, why in the world do you think Jesus would start here? I think, oh, man. I think he's prodding the Pharisees, the religious leaders. I think they, he's prodding everyone in the room and outside of the house to expose their hearts. He's certainly yep. doing that. What, what you got, Weber? What do you think? 
Totally. I mean, I think he's already he's already kind of shown us he's lord over creation with the fish. Um, he's lord over you know leprosy. So the, the the surrounding crowds, you know, the last few days have seen him heal people, but this is a whole new level. I mean, we're talking doing something that only they they all believe there only God can do. So he he's taking it to a whole new level. Kind of what Ben's saying, just um, and also. You know, a couple of verses later, he he knows what they're thinking. He's perceiving their thoughts. Yeah, yeah. So he's he's got two things going on here. He's he's going to simultaneously care for the man who's paralyzed, while also challenging these religious leaders. He's just you, you see his wisdom so on display here in the way he gets it done. But in relation to the man, uh, Tim Keller's comments are helpful. L- listen to what he says. He says Jesus knows something the man doesn't know. Hmm that he has a much bigger problem than his physical condition. Mm-hmm. Jesus is saying to him, I understand your problems. I've seen your suffering. I'm going to get to that. But please realize that the main problem in a person's life is never his suffering. It's his sin. Well, and I, I think that's right. Jesus wanted to do for this man something even better than he came for. He wanted mm-hmm. to meet his greatest need. He wanted mm-hmm. to forgive his sin. So let's mm-hmm. kind of hit a Quick pause on the story right right here and just ask plainly, you know, when you come up against a big term in the Bible, you always want to understand what it means, right? So what is sin and why is it such a big deal? Mm. Thoughts there. Let's just, let's try to put a definition maybe on sin. What is sin? We can even start simple. Man, sin is um, doing anything that is um, an offense to God, I think is how it starts. It's yeah. a big, it's a big, broad question. No, it's mm-hmm. a great start. Webb, what would you add? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think, I think we can probably narrow all sins down to pride, kind of thinking out of what do I want instead of what does God want? What is, what is God kind of laid out for me as what's best for me? And I think um, disobeying God and what he's asked uh, is sin. Um, yeah, and, you know, we could sin against God. We could sin against people. Um, sin plays itself out in so many different ways. Yeah, no, no doubt. And I think, you know, very plainly we could say disobeying God or dishonoring God, offending God. Um, right. a, a short verse in first John says sin is lawlessness, right? Which is just mm-hmm. sin is disobeying God's clear command. But, but the Bible talks about it even as more than that. It's any failure to honor or obey God in our actions or our attitude or our nature. It's living in God's world and receiving his gifts without honoring him or thanking him. It's rejecting God and desiring to be Lord over our own lives, which brings us to the pride point that Webb's making. And sin is such a big deal because it puts us on the wrong side of a relationship with God. It makes us his enemies and it warrants his judgment because God is holy and righteous and he hates evil as a good God. He wants to punish evil. The scary thing for us is we find ourselves on the wrong end of that bargain. Um, and if that's not remedied, if our sin's not remedied, it's going to cost us forever. It'll lead to something much worse than paralysis. And so Jesus knew that. He knew that there was something that this man needed more than being restored physically. He needed to be restored spiritually and eternally. And mm-hmm. so he wanted to meet this man's great, greatest need. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, last thing here before we move on to how, how the religious leaders respond um, what do you think Jesus is protecting this man from? So in starting with his sins, not his healing, um, Jesus, I think, is protecting this man from something. He's caring for this man. So mm-hmm. how could starting there be a real service to this guy? What would have happened if he just healed him and then let him go on? Yeah, yeah if he had done it in reverse order, yeah. this guy would have jumped up and celebrated and thought that he got a, got, had gotten all he needed. But Jesus mm-hmm. starts in the place where um, his most need is, even though it's not obvious to him, and then follows with the, the actual healing. So it's, it's amazing that Jesus is such a genius. that The order of it even is so beautiful. 100%. Mm-hmm. Where would you add anything? Yeah. No, spot on. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's like if, if one of you guys went to the Lord before you were understood your need for his forgiveness and said, Lord, I just want to win the Masters. And then all of a sudden, yeah. God becomes the means to your end. Well, then you get the yeah. masters, and then what? 
Right. Over time, you're just going to be let down again. You're going to be asking for the U.S. Open and then for the British Open, right? Yeah, and treat him like Aladdin. Exactly. And Jesus knew that if he had just given this guy healing, he's, he's setting him up for a future failure. Failure, mm-hmm. right? Because then he's, mm-hmm. he's going to need a future healing. He's going to get sick again, or he's going to face death, or he's going to be let down. Jesus mm-hmm. knew, and he loved this man too much to let him hope in something different than what he needed most, which is a mm-hmm. restored relationship with God. So Jesus started there. Um, and it certainly was strange to the paralyzed man, but it was, it was more than strange to these religious leaders. They did not like what he said. And you see that in verse 21. What, what does verse 21 say? And the scribes and Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but, God's, but God alone? Okay, interesting to note. This is really in the Synoptic Gospels where the conflict with the religious leaders starts between with Jesus and these leaders. That's ultimately going to lead to the cross. Um, and what's their problem with what he says? I mean, he's claiming to be God by forgiving sins. Okay, tell, tell us how you got there. Because I think you're exactly um, right. Yeah, because they're saying the only one who can forgive sins is God alone. Well, Jesus just claimed to forgive this man's sins, um, which in turn he's saying, I am God. I am forgiving you of your sins. Totally. So for for the listener, think about it this way. Let's say um, Ben got upset with Webb because Rory McIlroy won the tour championship. Right. And so... That happened. So... Ben thinks, you know what? I'm going to slip a little laxative into the uh, sourdough bread that I made for Webb. <laughs> okay. Well, Webb gets that bread and, you know, he eats his bread and he has a great meal, but then he goes out to Quail Hollow and he's playing with some members and it leads to a big old accident for Webb. It's just like dumb and dumb around the toilet all over again. Exactly. <laughs> well, if I then come to Ben and, and I say, hey, Ben, listen, I know Webb's pretty upset about this, but I want you to know I forgive you for what you did. What might Webb say to that? You can't do that. That's up, you know, you, that's not your place to forgive. Exactly. I wasn't sinned against, right? Yeah. Webb Web yeah. in that situation has to be the one to offer and extend forgiveness. Okay? Yeah. Um, Jesus here, in claiming to forgive this man's sins, right, not only is he claiming to have the authority to do it, which is only God's, he's claiming that all sins are against him. Mm-hmm. Wow. Huge claims to deity, right? He's claiming yeah. to be God. So it's enormous. And where these Pharisees, even though they were malintentioned, where they're right is that only God can forgive sins. Right. Now, they think he's blaspheming because they think there's no way he's God in flesh. Right. What they don't know is his real identity. So, um, but you see, even in verse 22, a little bit of Jesus' godness. What What does verse 22 say? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Okay, so how does that first phrase point us to Jesus' nature? He knows they know have to know what they're yeah. thinking. <laughs> he yeah. knows what they're thinking. Sorry, Jack. <laughs> I mean, there's hey, nobody like him. Hey, they definitely, two buddies, Bill and Bob, the Pharisees are sitting there in the back, and they de- one of them definitely whispered to the other, like, that was what I was thinking. <laughs> 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 you know, a couple of them are like, all right, maybe he is. Uh, you know? Dude, and you, there were so many... So many, you know, Hebrew people at that time named Bill and Bob too. <laughs> <laughs> there you were know Bob from Capernaum. Oh yeah, man, he's wearing his Peter Peter Millar with a little club logo right on the left breast. <laughs> yeah. He just uh, spent the morning at Madison Club there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So so Jesus reads their minds. Why do you question in their hearts? He moves right to the issue. He knows what they're thinking, and he confronts it head on. And then he's just about to to put both his identity and his power on display in verses 23 and 24. So let's read them together, and then we'll slowly start to understand what they mean. Somebody, one of you guys read 23, 24. Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or say, rise and walk? Yeah, read the next one, too. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Okay, so... At first glance, what does it look like Jesus is saying here? At first glance, which seems easier? To heal a man or to forgive sins? It looks way easier to say your sins are forgiven. Okay, exactly right. Because we, no one can tell if you actually if his sins are forgiven by looking at him. 
right. E- exactly right. You can't validate that, right? But if you heal a paralyzed man, it's evidence to everybody looking on. So initially, yeah. it looks much harder to heal a man than to forgive him. But if we read closer, I think we're going to find that Jesus might be saying the opposite. Okay? So um, the first part of verse 24 helps us out here. What's the first part of 24 say? But that you may know that the Son of Man has has authority on earth to forgive sins. Okay, so Jesus takes on this name, Son of Man, which is a name that comes from Daniel chapter 7 that's about the coming Messiah. It's really a a strong claim for Jesus and, you know, his favorite name for himself. And what he wants to show the people looking on is what? What's he want them to know? That he has the authority to do it, to forgive sins. Yes. He says, all right, fellas, I want you to know that me, that I, the son of man has authority to forgive sins. So, um, he wants them to get that. He wants them to get that. He's got authority to do what only God can do. Other people have healed people before, but no one except God can forgive. And Jesus says, I want you guys to see it. I want you to know it. I want you to see I've got this authority and this power. And then at the end of verse 24, he sets out to validate that enormous claim with this miracle, right? And so he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Now, before we see the result... Now let's view it from the, the other lens, right? So taking all this together, what point do you think Jesus is making? Which, which actually is easier for him? He's saying it's much harder to forgive sins than it is to make this man walk. Exactly. And, and the reason for that is only God can do it. Wow. Only yeah. God can forgive sins. Never right? seen that. Forgiveness of sins is a bigger deal than healing the body. And so it's more difficult work than healing someone. Mm-hmm. And then to prove that Jesus can do the stuff that only God can do, he's going to perform this Mm -hmm. miracle in in plain sight. He's going to validate his claim. He's going to show himself to be almighty God in flesh. And when he tells this man, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. What does verse 25 tell us happened? Immediately he rose up before them, picked up what he'd been laying on, went home, glorifying God. Okay, so let's just get back in the story for a minute. All right, so now just put yourself in that house. How would you describe what goes down in this moment? Meeting's over. What the heck's going on? This guy's running around. Was I mean, that really and, the guy that was, was, you know, on that bed? Yeah. And, you know, I mean, a great theological debate. I mean, the temperature in the room can go up, even among friends. No doubt. Right? But we have the top of the top with this rabbi, teacher, healer, and it is hot in there. And so people are probably quiet for, I don't know, however long this conversation took, five minutes. And, I mean, it is the moment of moments to these people when he gets up. Dude, and can you imagine these Pharisees and religious leaders who are trying to stump him and and are frustrated with him? They're trying to, you know, figure out fault with him. Like, in this moment, just... (laughs) eyes go to the floor, you know, and then you you can't get them. And then you can imagine this guy and his buddies. You can imagine the the buddies peeking in through the hole right up top. (laughs) And then all of a sudden, these guys who couldn't get in the house. Now the crowd parts like a Red Sea and out walks this dude, the front door that he couldn't get in moments before (laughs) with his mat in hand. And everybody's just looking at each other like what just happened? (laughs) I mean, you know, some of the guys who have been with him for a few days, they've I mean, if high-fiving was a thing then, they were high-fiving. Oh, dude, Bob and Bill, they're not, but everybody else is. <laughs> yeah, Bob and Bill are upset. <laughs> so amazement seizes them all. They glorified God. They're filled with awe, and they say, we've seen extraordinary things today. Of course, of course they had. They were amazed. How, how could they not be? So that, that's the story. That's the encounter that Jesus had with this paralyzed man and his buddies. Um, And like the others, there's lots to learn here. There's lots to learn about Jesus. There's lots to learn about ourselves. Um, But let's, let's start with what we've, we've come to do. We, We know that Jesus Christ reveals what God is like. And so what does this passage teach us about, about who Jesus is and ultimately what God's like? I mean, the thing that sticks out to me, guys, that's so encouraging is what did this man have to do to be forgiven? Literally nothing. He 
he came to Jesus. Like we've been talking about, he came to Jesus. Jesus does all the work. He's yet to go to Calvary yet. So the, the, the awful death he's going to die has yet to come. But Jesus being God has the authority to forgive his sins. Jesus didn't require anything of this man. So just, I mean, grace is free. There's no tricks about free. It's free. It doesn't cost us anything. It costs him everything. Mm. So that's sticking out to me. Amen. What do you see, Ben? Yeah, it's just incredible that, you know, as weak as his faith might have been, or, you know, or maybe it was his friend's faith that brought him. But in yeah. faith, they came and... I love that web. Jesus did all the work. And, yeah. And now he gets to run outside and start playing pickleball. Let's go. <laughs> I wonder how his third shot drop is. Probably going to take some time. It's going to take some time. Yeah. I mean, he's a banger. <laughs> he's standing on that baseline. Just like, you know, but we'll, yeah, anyway, he'll figure it out. Yep. Um, <laughs> one of the things I love is this, this shows us that Jesus wants to meet our greatest needs, not just what we think we need. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. so easy. I mean, we're, by God's grace, we're, we're not in the same position that this man was in physically, but we all have needs and burdens and struggles that we face. And a lot of us think, man, if I could just get this fixed, yeah. everything might be okay. But we see here that Jesus is committed to what we actually need most, right? That's, right. That's where he starts us. Mm-hmm. And, and the beauty is he's got both the authority and the ability to meet our greatest need, namely mm-hmm. to forgive our sins. Mm-hmm. Um but all this shows us that the Lord really does have our best interest at heart, right? Not just our at temporary, all times. At all times, not just our temporary yeah. interests. That's um, right. Yeah. One one verse that I love that articulates this Romans eight thirty two says, "He who did not spare his own son, mm. but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things?" Mm. Amen. And and the logic there is, if he would do for us what we needed most in sending his son, yep. surely he's going to meet all of our other needs in due time. Yeah. Um, so good. Yeah. And, and I think it's helpful, too, that even if we do have smaller needs that are unmet, we can assume that temporarily, and this is even hard to say because I've been in tough places before, but temporarily it's what's best for us. God is accomplishing things even through those difficult struggles, you know? And, totally. And we know yeah. He's not left us because of the work He's done on the cross. That's right. And, and I think that... that reminds me of the contentment that Paul speaks about. I mean, Paul talks about being perfectly content while he's sitting in a nasty, cold jail. Um, and all what, what did he do to get in jail? He was telling people about Jesus, right? But the secret he learned to be content in all circumstances is this Christian peace where he can trust in the sovereignty of God, that God has his best interests at heart, like you're saying, William, all the time. And you know what? It was in the cards for Paul, God's will, that Paul be put in prison for for sharing the gospel, and many people in prison came to faith. So it's really cool to kind of sit back and and, and understand that Christian peace is an amazing thing because it transcends circumstances. Hundred mm-hmm. percent. I'm just reminded of this verse, First Peter five seven, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. You know, just that's that right. God really does care for us. He tells us, you know, to come to Him. You know. Mm-hmm. And, um, and cast it on him. And no matter what we're going through, you know, in his time, in his way, which is more perfect mm-hmm. than we could ever imagine, um, he, loves his, he loves his people and, and um, he's intimately involved in what we're going through. And he just says, come, Amen. cast it on him. Yeah, so, good. so strong, buddy. Maybe one final thing, too, about what this teaches us about the Lord. We know that Jesus came, and he came talking about the kingdom of God, right? Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand is how he starts his ministry. And one of the things he was doing was showing what it looks like when God comes to town, right? When God's kingdom breaks in, here are the kinds of things that happen. Mm-hmm. You know, the sick are healed, and the paralyzed are able to walk, and the, you know, those oppressed by demons, they're cast out, and all these wonderful things come when, mm-hmm. when Jesus comes. And we know that the kingdom has already come in a sense in Jesus Christ, but it's not yet here in his fullness. And I think one encouragement to the listener who maybe you have a chronic condition, maybe you have something on ongoing struggle. This gives you a picture of what one day will happen for you. If you're in Christ, one day the Lord will fully restore you. Um, your forgiveness of sins are a guarantee that everything else is going to be put back together. And one day like this paralyzed man, we're all going to be able to leap and jump and laugh 
Um, mm-hmm. So that's in our future, and that's a sweet, sweet promise that this yes, passage is. subtly points to. Uh, okay, a couple more questions for you all before we wrap it up. It, it's highly likely that, that this man was tempted to hope in his healing as what he needed most. So I, I think a good question for us, a good question for the li- listener is, or what are you tempted to hope in? Mm-hmm. Like if I, if you were to say this sentence, if only I could blank, mm-hmm. what's your blank? Mm-hmm. Um, go ahead. So often for me, it's, it's better golf or, you know, mm-hmm. um, I've dealt with injury. It's like, if I could just get through this injury, then, then I'm good. You know? Yeah. I'll take yeah. it from here, Lord. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Um, I totally resonate with that. I mean, I think for for men especially, um, it's easy to find our identity in work, and it's easy to believe the lie that, like you're saying, Ben, like if if I can just, you know, put a couple good months of golf together, then I'll be happy, right? And sure, we love good results. It, it can make us happy temporarily, but you know, if if we hope in that, we're you know we're getting older golf, you know, is hard. It's not always going to satisfy us. So we got to place our, our hope, you know, somewhere where it, it won't change, you know, which is Jesus. Right. And Weber, I just thought this was a good place for you to maybe refresh us on when you won ACC's your senior year. And that was like the yeah. culmination of what you had kind of really wanted to accomplish to that point in your golf career. Right. Dave, Dave Owen, who's played a, a big role in both of our lives, said something to you about idolatry. Yeah you know, that later that next week to tell yeah. what he said to you. Cause I think it really applies to this passage and hoping in whatever, whatever we think it is that'll really satisfy us. Yeah. So I won the ACC championship and Monday morning, I woke up feeling super empty and honestly, I was confused. I didn't know why it was what I had wanted my whole college career. So I called Dave Owen and uh, just kind of told him how I was feeling, thought I would be a lot happier. And, um, he just said, Weber, it's, uh, you know, you've talked about this tournament since your freshman year and you finally did it. And he goes, I think you were hoping in it. And I said, of course I was, you know, I want to win it. He goes, well, there's a big difference in between hoping in and hoping for it. You know, there's nothing wrong with hoping for good golf or for ACC championship. But when we hope in anything other than Christ, we're going to be let down. And he said, um, he goes, I think winning the ACC championship was an idol for you. And what he meant by it was, if we have something in our life, we want a job, a wife, a kid, whatever, and we don't get it, right? It'll never forgive us or we'll keep chasing it. We'll keep chasing it until we get it, thinking it'll satisfy us if we get it. If we do get it, if we do accomplish it, if we do get the job or whatever it is, we'll realize after a while it doesn't fully satisfy. And he said, Jesus is the only one who can do both. He can fully forgive us like we're learning today, our greatest need. He can fully forgive us of our sins. And two, he can fully satisfy us. And man, that was a great thing for me to remember because even though I've been walking with the Lord ever since, there's times where our flesh is is just raging within us. And even as Christians, we believe lies sometimes that if I can just get this or play well, then I'll be happy. And I think that's when the Spirit of God helps us and corrects us and convicts us and kind of puts us back in alignment with what, you know, the truths of God are. Well said, Bob. Okay, so let's let's wrap up with this. How, how does this story foreshadow the gospel? Um, how does this little conflict that happens here point us to what what's to come? Um, Jesus, this Son of Man, He's ultimately going to be able to forgive our sins, which do separate us from God, because of the conflict that started right here in this in that living room. Um, that conflict would grow and grow and grow between him and this, these religious leaders until one day he would be put to death. And yet the Bible tells us wonderfully that ultimately it was God who was doing this. It was God whose just demands were being met on that cross where Jesus was being punished. It was God's judgment for our sin being poured out on Jesus so that he might forgive us who don't deserve it. Um, so Jesus could look at this paralyzed man, and he can say to us through his word, you all can be forgiven because I'm going to the cross. I'm going to take your place. I'm going to bear the judgment sins deserve, even though I'm completely innocent, so that you who are guilty can be forgiven of your sins and can go free. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's just good news that 
that this is what Jesus offers us. And really, I think what's left for us, let's repent of hoping in anything other than Jesus, and then let's receive his forgiveness and live amazed, just like these folks did. All right, guys, Mm. last word to you. I think it's, you know, this paralyzed man is like us. You know, we, we come to Jesus dead, paralyzed, and then after we've been with Jesus and he does his work, yeah. we experience life. Yeah. And we and we walk out, right? That's with, right. With with true life because of what he's done. Mhm. So good. Yeah, I mean, I think one of you guys said it in an earlier podcast, but uh Jesus doesn't want the future version of us. You know, with this paralyzed man, he forgave him right then and there and just to, to any listener thinking you got to clean your life up and then go to Jesus. I think it's been pretty clear through these first couple of encounters that um, none of these guys cleaned up before they came to him. They just went right to him. So he's willing and able. Great point, Will. Amen. Well, thanks for listening to the Bible Caddy podcast. If you have questions about Jesus, email us, email us at biblecaddy at gmail.com. We'll be back next week in Luke 5, 27 to 32. Until then, let's get into the Bible and let the Bible get into us. To the listeners, if you've heard anything that you have questions on, if you want to know more about pursuing a relationship with Jesus, Please email us your questions, your thoughts, your um, just your feedback. You can email us at biblecaddy at gmail.com. That's B-I-B-L-E-C-A-D-D-I-E at gmail.com. Thank you. Or if you want to know how to spell Will's notorious. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs>